welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. For series three of the podcast, I've interviewed a variety of people who share their personal stories, providing a collection of different perspectives of paths to parenthood. In today's episode, I speak to Jenny Nash, solo mum to her daughter Dottie. Jenny started the Facebook group Solo Mothers by Choice UK and we talk about the importance of having a support network of other solo mums around you as well as many other topics. Jenny, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. You're very welcome. Before we start, do you want to just give a quick introduction to yourself? Yes, I am Jenny Nash. Um, I am 36. I am from Devon in the southwest. I am mum to Dorothy Dotty, who is two uh, a month today. So that's a bit crazy because that time has gone very quick. And I run, um, well, I started the group um, Solo Mothers by Choice UK and run it with nine other lovely ladies who help me to admin and look after the group on a daily basis. Wow, nine others now. Nine others now, yes. We've just had three new lovely ladies become, we call them guardians, I think they're moderators in other groups, but we call them guardians in our group because they help to guard and keep the, the group safe. Excellent. So what sort of led you to become um, a solo mum? Where did it all start? Um, it started around when I was about 30, probably, that the um, seed was planted by one of my best friends. She had a friend who had gone down the route of going through fertility treatment to become a single mother by choice. And she just kind of said, why don't you think about doing it and I kind of just like laughed it off and and was like oh no you know hopefully I'll meet somebody and get married and have children that that way but I think she planted a seed really and whether I realized it or not it was obviously going around in my brain maybe a bit subconsciously and I remember one day just um looking on my phone and looking up the European sperm bank um and just kind of getting a bit of um doing a bit of research and information without kind of consciously deciding I was doing a bit of research and information um and then just yeah put my phone away and didn't think about it again for a while um and then my um gran uh, passed away um she'd been poorly for probably about six months but it was still a bit of a shock and I remember um, it was very late at night. My granddad had just got back from the hospital to see her and to say goodbye. And we were talking and my mum said, because um, I live with my mum and, and I, I lived with my grandparents. I grew up with, with them um, all in one house together. Um, and my mum said, oh, your grand would have loved you to have, you know, got married and, and had children. And I said, well, I've, I, I've been thinking about doing it by myself. And they both just turned around and went, brilliant, go for it. And that was it, really. That was like decision made. Um, and yeah, I booked in with the GP, got into the fertility clinic. And not that long after, I, I was lucky enough to conceive Dottie. So yeah, it was all, all because of my friend Sarah. <laughs> I think it's so good when you've got that support 
unwavering support from your parents or from your close mm. family or from whoever's important to you because it just gives you that added confidence that it's sort of the right thing to do I think when you've got people behind you like that doesn't definitely it? and I think I would I think I was a bit worried about what they might say and what they might think um although I hadn't spent a lot of time fretting over it because I hadn't really consciously made the decision um which I think is probably a good thing because I work things up massively in my head. And I think if I had made the decision and then was like, oh, how am I going to tell them? I would have had sleepless nights for like months. But because it kind of just, I don't know, it just kind of happened um, in that awful, awful situation. But it just just came out without me having kind of pre-planned it. Um, I think that was the best way it could have happened for me, really. And I think I would have been most worried about what my granddad thought because I think for their generation, you know, it, it isn't so common. And um, I still wonder what my gran would have made of it, but I, I know she would have absolutely adored Dottie and would have spoilt her rotten. Um, yeah. So regardless of how she had felt, you know, when I made the decision, I know she would have been absolutely thrilled and I'm just sad she didn't get to meet her, but. I think it's quite important for people listening to say that um, I certainly know from my coaching that loads of people raise it as a concern about what their grandparents are going to think um, mm. just because of the generation difference. Yeah. Um, and actually, I found that most people have been quite pleasantly surprised by what their grandparents yeah. have thought. And sometimes yeah. they're a bit more liberal than we think they are. Actually, yeah. they've just got our best interests at heart and want us to be happy. So. Absolutely. Obviously, I can't talk for everybody, but I've had quite a lot of people say that they were really worried, and actually, their grandparents took it really well and were really supportive. So that's yeah. Um. So then, what did you have? Did you have IUI or did you have IVF? Yes, I had. Um, I had IUI at the local clinic to me, so it was nice and easy to get to. I thought it was going to be quite straightforward. I thought it was going to be the, you know, conceiving would be the tricky part but I kind of soon discovered that the tricky part for me was responding to medication. So I just didn't respond. And I had a doctor tell me that, that my ovaries were acting like an old person's, right. which I was, how old was I then? 33 at that point. Which, yeah, when you're 33, to basically be told you had um, old ovaries was a phrase that I have never forgotten and probably will never forget. Um, I think she could have been a, a touch more uh a touch kinder <laughs> in her explanation um but then they basically um they tested my amh levels which took weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to come back and, and then of course as each month passes each time you get your period you think oh that's another month wasted so it took a very long time and i had to chase them up and it was all quite stressful at the time but eventually come so i started in the january and then that cycle was obviously cancelled. And then it was in June, beginning of July, I had my IUI and got my positive result, which was amazing because I knew the percentage chance of it working was so, so low. But that six months felt like forever. But obviously now I know through my group that, you know, lots of my members are years and years and years and years down the line. Um, so I was incredibly lucky, actually, that it that it worked so quickly. Six months is nothing in the grand scheme of things. But when you're in it, it, it feels like forever. <laughs> 
I always think it's really important to educate people on that because I know that a lot of women take a long time to decide whether solo motherhood's the right route for them and then think that finally they've made that massive decision and, and, mm. and now they'll do have fertility treatments and, and, and have a baby and actually what they don't realise is that was almost the easy part, making that decision and yeah. the journey sort of starts and like you say, some people it takes a really long time or some people it just doesn't work. Some people, well. yeah, some people, yeah, or it doesn't work, yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things is um, I, I find that on average um, the solo mum population is slightly older than, you know, people mm. uh, children in couples because they've potentially waited that little yes. bit longer to see if they've met someone which yeah. is in our favor either is it you know because no. we're, we're, we're battling against that so I do think it's important to that people realize I saw some amazing quotes today someone shared with me like saying there'll never be a right time today's the right time because mm. um, when you're trying to make a decision whether to go for it or not it's really hard to make that final decision it's, it's so hard isn't it and everyone has to get to that point in their own time but I definitely yeah I agree I I, I sometimes want to just say to people like oh just do it now because you just don't know like you don't know what's going to happen and I was 33 and thought you know thought I had loads of time and thought oh there'll be nothing wrong with <laughs> with my ovaries and then to find out my AMH was low um, and that's why I wasn't responding to the medication and then, you know, having to whack the doses right up and you know, it might not have even worked that time. They, they didn't know. Yeah. And I have no idea why my AMH was, was so low. Um, I guess I never, never probably will, but you just don't know. So yeah, I agree. I often think like, oh, if you can make the decision, go for it. And it is absolutely amazing. Like, yeah, it's hard at times, definitely. And you have hard days and sleepless nights and, and what have you but oh it's the most amazing thing in the world isn't it to be a to be a mum it, it's so hard because um I feel exactly the same so sometimes I'm like no don't wait just do it now. <laughs> yeah. but obviously I'm coaching people so I can't <laughs> I can't yeah. Do that. um yeah I think you know if you know you definitely want to do it mm. it's almost like you know don't waste any time from a medical point of view yeah and like, like I think women who freeze their eggs as well when they're young, it, like I want to tell um, like two of Dottie's godmothers are um, in their twenties and I just want to say to them, just freeze your eggs now. And then, you know, if you don't, if things don't go to plan, then you've got that option. Cause I kind of wish I could go back in time and tell myself, you know, in my twenties to have done that for sure. But I was talking to one of my um, friends from, from my group about it. And she was saying how, we don't really get educated about that in school. Nobody tells you in school, this is an option you can do. It's just not talked about. Um, and it's kind of too late that you learn about it often, which would be good to kind of change for future generations, I think. I totally agree. And that's why I really liked that Amy Hart went on Loose Women to talk about freezing her eggs because one of the questions that she got is, but you're so young, you're only 28. And it's like, this is, that's the 
I feel it. <laughs> yeah, to you know, to make sure for the future that you've got. Well, it's not a guarantee, mm. is it? But you know, to try to make sure that there's more of a guarantee. No, but it might. Yeah, exactly. It might give. It might give you more options, mightn't it? Yeah. All being well. Because a lot of people contact me and say, should they freeze their eggs? But they're like in their mid to late thirties, and you know, the mm. medical advice really they get told well you should really go straight to embryos but yeah. if you're still holding out to meet Mr Wright then you don't want to freeze embryos because you know you want to freeze your eggs so it's, it's so hard mm. to agree education Joyce Harper actually Professor Joyce Harper is really leading a big movement on trying to get better fertility education into schools and oh, it's brilliant like that hopefully will change and, mm. and we'll get more education which is fab so then how have you found Zola Motherhood how is it going amazing I've absolutely loved it and I kind of I, it sounds really cliche and cheesy but before Dottie was here I, I didn't feel complete and I felt like I was just going through the motions and going to work and I had like you know I've got loads of amazing supportive friends who I did lots of lovely things with and I'm in a drama group and you know would be in plays and directing so I was really busy and, and really you know socially active and everything but I just didn't there was like something missing um, and I think I thought that that was a man for a long time <laughs> um, and then I think I came to that realization that it wasn't it was that I wanted the baby in to be a mother and I think that was quite a big realization actually that that was my focus and priority not the man and then um, it's just been amazing and it was hard at first, you know, the newborn days are hard and they're tough and, and you're sleep deprived. Uh, but I've got brilliant support from my mum and my granddad and my friends. And I just, I enjoyed every moment, to be honest. And I wish I could go back and, and do it all again, to be quite honest, because she's just growing up so quickly. And I was thinking the other day, I can't even remember really what it felt like holding her as a baby. I kind of almost forgotten that like the little sounds that she made and yeah it just goes so so quickly but I'm loving this stage as well because she's saying more and she's she's you know starting to make like little mini sentences like mind out mummy when she wants to get past me that's her favorite one at the moment yeah. and come on then come on then um yeah it's just she's just so cute and adorable and amazing and yeah it's just brilliant and would you say that she was quite easy as a child or I think so everybody tells me that she's very laid back although we're just obviously getting towards the twos and she's got all four of her last molars coming through so at the moment she's being a little bit more challenging but she's still it's still not that you know it, it's still not that bad at all really it's lots of no's and lots of throwing herself on the floor but then she wants a cuddle and then she has a cuddle and she's fine so I think she's quite um, a chilled out little person and she sleeps very well which people hate me saying <laughs> she, um, she goes to bed at I put her down about seven and she sleeps through to about anywhere between kind of seven thirty eight eight thirty she'll wake up I know oh, I'm sorry yeah. I am I realize I am very very lucky um she just really likes her sleep <laughs> she just loves her sleep amazing it's totally amazing and I think what's really what I've realized is that there's 
all kids are so different they are so different will be so different depending on your child so I can very safely say that is not my experience (laughs) um no I'm having a really hard time at the moment that I'm not getting great sleep um and it does make things a lot harder and I feel like it makes your patience much less because you're tired and then that's a spiral I was talking to two friends who've both got two children and one of them had a really really easy first baby and then had a second and was like oh my days are because it was just my friends had that yeah my friends had that and they were like we thought that we were just amazing and that it was because of us that our baby slept through then we had another and realized it was nothing to do with us (laughs) it's just luck of the draw yeah it is just complete luck and I should say that Dottie was horrendous from about um eight eight to ten months um up until about 14 15 months when I got support from um a health visitor my local health visiting team do like sleep have a sleep advisory team um so I I I kind of ended up on the phone in absolute tears one morning in the first lockdown um just like I can't literally can't go on I was I was literally having to to um before the lockdown I remember taking her out at, uh, like day and night in the car because it's the only place I could get her to sleep and I think because she had slept and then she went from sleeping to, to literally waking every half an hour Mel I would put her down bang on 30 minutes later she'd wake up screaming I'd get her back off again bang on 30 minutes she would wake up screaming and it would take me about 30 minutes to get her down so my evenings were just you know doing that on a loop constantly I was I was I had gone back to work just before the first lockdown so I was trying to work as well and yeah I just ended up ringing them in absolute floods of tears like I can't do this like this is ridiculous and I had always said I didn't want to do any sleep training with her but it got to the point where I decided to do a very gentle sleep training method called the chair method where you sit right next to the cot so that they know you're there and then you very slowly, and I mean very slowly, move away. And it literally took months and months and months and months. But I got out the room, into the doorway, then I got across the hall. And then I, and then I managed to slowly move the door shut bit by bit. And now I can literally just say night, shut the door and go. So whether she would have done that herself, or, or whether it was that and the support I had from the health visitor, I don't know. But, but something clicked and touch wood (laughs) um she's been brilliant so it's only if she's poorly and then she just wants to be in bed with me (laughs) I I would say it's definitely the one thing I would advise everyone to get help with if you're struggling because Mm. it's such a game changer for you and for your child you know I couldn't look after her properly like I was like you say your patience goes I was absolutely shattered yeah it, yeah it it wasn't good for either of us and she was absolutely shattered as well you know she she wasn't getting the sleep she needed that's the thing that I used to sleep coach and what she said to me because everyone feels a bit guilty when they're going into this and she said to me mm. you're teaching her a skill it's a skill a child needs to learn to be able to sleep and if she's not getting it then you need to teach it to her and I thought oh I like Definitely. that way yeah I like that I blamed myself a little bit because I think I was giving her the props like I I ended up rocking her singing to her 
what else did I'm sure there was something else I'm sure there was like multiple things on my list and the health visitor was like you've, you she's got all these props you need to reduce them like very slowly bit by bit um so that she can relearn to self-soothe because she had been doing it and then I think she'd had a blip where she'd gone through you know she'd been teething or poorly or what have you and so then I'd introduced a prop and then that hadn't been enough so I'd introduced like another one and so on like feeding as well breastfeeding so I was feeding her singing to her rocking to her yeah so I, I kind of blamed myself but then you can't blame yourself because you just do at the time what you have to to get them to sleep don't you because you need anything. to sleep and you want them to sleep yeah yeah exactly you will literally do anything um so hard when you know if i just feed them they will go to sleep and you're mm. so tired and it's the middle of the night and you're like i'll just do it this once i'll just feed yeah. them. and you have to really like prepare yourself when you're gonna do a you know when you're going to take some of those away um yeah three and i'm yeah i still need to do some work yeah, yeah. it makes such a difference i think to parenting when you aren't tired yeah definitely you said you've got quite a lot of help have you got people that live nearby you that can do sort of hands-on help yeah so i live with my mum and my granddad and oh, Dottie, obviously. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're amazing. And my mum, you know, she she really helps. And she was brilliant when Dottie was a baby. She knew that I, you know, I I was mum and that I was making all the decisions. And she only offered help if I asked for it, which was was brilliant and and gave me that kind of independence and and the control that I wanted. But it is amazing having her. And yeah, there were nights where. I went into her at like 2am like I can't get her to sleep she's just screaming uh, not very many I did try and do it myself as much as I could but to have that support there and just to know that she was there when I was really at the end of my tether and have just somebody else also sometimes just swapping the person really calmed Dottie I think just having a fresh yeah a fresh face calmed her down a bit and like now when I'm at work she looks after Dottie so she has her for three days with my granddad who's brilliant as well um you know he's 85 and he, he runs around after her and you know chasing around making her laugh turning her upside down all sorts bless him so he's brilliant um and yeah it's just it's lovely having i think all the, these generations in one house and dotty loves her Gigi and her grandma yeah she adores them they're they're above me on the list of favorite people for sure <laughs> for sure <laughs> i think Gigi's at the top <laughs> um yeah she loves her great granddad but um yeah i just think it's it's just amazing for her growing up with them yeah in the same house as her i think it's so nice and i think it for me it goes back a little bit to how things used to be so i think mm. in recent years we've become very individualistic as a society so we you know people are in a couple and it's that couple and they don't even have much help and everyone's moved away from their family and um, I feel like everyone's got it in their mind that it's just two people that need to do this. Um, and whereas in the mm. past, it would have been all the yes. family. It would have been parents, yeah, and parents. And um, I quite like that the sort of the solo mum community are going back to that a little bit. And I know mm. not everyone's as lucky to have that situation. 
of, of having you know grandparents around um, but I know loads of people who have decided to move back home and some people have made mm -hmm. it it's been a really big decision but then I think when they've done it they're like this is an amazing decision but it's not necessarily how we thought we would do things I guess but there's so no many yeah I think I because of I grew up as well living with my mum and my gran and granddad um, and have always been very much a home girl I you know I've moved out about four times I think over over the years and I always end up coming back home um, so I think I am quite a homebody I, I love it and I I would I would recommend it to anyone you know I can give her to my mum so I can go go to the toilet and have a wee in peace by myself it's great <laughs> not always to be fair and most of the time she will refuse and follow me anyway uh, but, but sometimes she can get distracted so I can just nip off just a few seconds which is lovely <laughs> I found, and you might be in the same situation that some of my friends in couples were like you've got more help than we have as a, as mm. a partnership so that's not anymore because COVID's put you know yeah. put the end to that. But but once that sort of solved yes. off fingers, I had one night a week that my mum would stay over and she would do the night and she would do one lie in the next day as well, which was amazing. And then if I well, have to mention that to my mum. <laughs> <laughs> if I needed another night because I was doing something, she would usually do that as well. So I could really if I wanted to do two different evenings and quite a lot of my friends were like we would struggle to do that you know mm. it, it, so sometimes I think if you set your support network up right yeah you can end up having the same if not more support as if you were in a couple um mm. so, so I really like that but I, I think it's really good to um speak really positively about an experience of living with different generations because I think it's a consideration yeah. other people go through and some people you know it's it's more of like it's in their mind like oh I don't know is this the right thing to do whereas if it works mm. everyone's happy I think if you just have that you know I had to have that conversation with mum and and I'm sure she won't mind me saying in the early days I did have to say to her I've got this mum just back off a little bit I know you're trying to help but I want to take the lead and make the decisions and she was actually brilliant and, and went oh yeah sorry fair enough and she did and but she I think we got the balance right that she was still there if I really needed you know help but she you know she knew I was mum and that I wanted to be mum and she let me be mum and and she she didn't kind of take over and I think that's maybe where some people worry mm. is that the grandparent might try to kind of take over a little bit or start to tell you how to do things and like when you get to weaning oh we didn't do it like that in my day and um you know these difficulties which I was very lucky where my mum if I wanted to do something slightly differently to how she did it perhaps when I was little she listened to my explanation and the research and the reasoning and, and was really supportive and um, went with it brilliant so yeah I think I've been lucky but it's I was thinking it was interesting because before Dottie came along um, and I moved back home I had initially moved back to save up for a house um, when I was with an ex and then we broke up so I was at home and I could use that money luckily for my fertility treatment which I wouldn't have been able to do so thanks to him but I did used to feel a little bit 
I don't want to say ashamed, but I did feel a bit embarrassed that I was, you know, 30 in my 30s and living at home. Um, Because I think there is this kind of pressure that you get in society to to not do that and to to be independent and move out. You are still independent, even if you're living at home. Like, does it matter? Like, yeah, I I find it really interesting. But since having Dottie, I haven't felt like that at all. Um, I think that I haven't felt judged like I did before. I think it's so important for you to say that because um, I totally agree. I think there is a societal expectation and we can feel a little bit like a failure if we mm. aren't living on our own and we are living with our parents. And I think that's totally like conditioning by society on how we should be. But actually that just doesn't have to be our experience. We can just be really like, if I could get my mum to move in with me, I absolutely would. <laughs> she, she's like, no. Um, I'm doing the next best thing which is moving five minutes around the corner from her house yeah I I think that um, challenging that and saying no there's absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about in fact I'm in an amazing situation haha go me sort of thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) and just change that um but I can understand why you felt that because I there's many times I felt a bit embarrassed about things because my expectation was that I would have just followed the norm um and anytime I didn't I was like oh you know and I'm really trying to challenge myself on that now Mm. I think it's it's really great to speak about it and then tell me so you decided that you wanted to try to meet more solo mums so decided to start a group so how did that sort of come about and when did you decide to start it so Dottie was about four it was about August time in 2019 so she's about four months old and I just thought oh it'd be so lovely to know other solo mums in Exeter there must be like one or two surely so I yeah I just kind of randomly one morning decided to make a group and it just kind of straight away took off and people just started joining and I I've never done anything like like that before so it was all a bit new but yeah people started to join and it, it just kind of grew and then I had 500 members and yeah it just kept going and going and going and now we've got like I think one 1500 members now which is amazing it just yeah it just took off I still can't I sort of forget that I made it in a way <laughs> I just kind of feel like I'm just sort of a member of a group that somebody else made and that I helped to 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 run each day I kind of forget that I actually yeah started it all but I'm so glad I did because I've met so many amazing women and looking forward to still meeting hopefully after uh everything fingers crossed like you said um gets a little bit better in the world yeah look forward to meeting even more but even just meeting them online is 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 amazing because it's just such an incredible support system there's something so powerful about meeting people who really understand your situation I always say I've got such good close friends but they'll never fully understand my situation Mm. because they're in a very different situation and so sometimes you can feel a really strong connection to another solo mum because they just instantly get your your situation so I find that that 
creates um, quite good connections with people because the power of just that understanding and that belonging feeling because mm. we're in the same situation is so so powerful I think isn't it yeah absolutely it definitely does feel like a community doesn't it like you, you just yeah you, you you've got that one thing in common but it is such a hugely important thing to have in common and that we've gone through experiences that like you say you're friends no matter how amazing and supportive and incredible they are they just can't understand that and what do you think people mainly get out of the group I think just support really and understanding which I wish I'd had that when I was going through my IUI with Dottie because it is such a roller coaster and there are so many highs and lows and so many different feelings not even from one day to the next from literally from like one minute to the next isn't there it's just it's it's in, it's an insane experience and i think just having that access to a group of people who you know some have been through it so they can talk about their experiences and answer questions when people are stuck and, and need to know the answer to something when people have had something awful happen we can kind of rally around and support them and give them love and and then you know the other side of it as well is just having a laugh together and 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 making friends and kind of growing those connections with people we have the whatsapp groups and we've been doing some zoom calls as well so we can see each other kind of face to face and have a chat and i'm in a book club because of it because one of our members has started a uh, um, solo mothers by choice book club so that's brilliant yeah so it's just kind of growing making those friendships really and then I think for me as well with Dottie I just really wanted her to know um, other donor conceived children and other children who were growing up you know with solo parents by choice um, I think that's for me that's really important for her as well as my friendships and my connections and, and support I think for all of us to kind of have our little ones growing up together I just think it's brilliant and I would love it you know that she can talk positively about it when she's older and, and talk about all her friends who also you know are donor conceived as well just gives her that connection as well I, I totally agree. I think it's really important for them. I actually was reading Susan Gollenbach's book, We Are Family, and there's something about that in there which says um, there was some donor-conceived children that had called each other the, their squad and so it was in the same way I'm saying like we feel belonging I suppose it's that, that our children will also feel belonging with people who are in similar situations to them so I'm the same with Daisy I really want her to have some good friends who are you know who've been conceived in the same way I think it's really nice for them and um, especially as they get older and they understand it a little bit more I think yes um, have you considered meeting donor siblings um I've thought about it um and I'm in like Facebook groups but I've never seen anybody on there who's used the same donor as me part of me wants it to be Dottie's choice mm -hmm. um I think that there's like the curious side mm -hmm. of me who would like to know if there's any out there but then the I haven't completed there's a form I think isn't there from the HFEA um, I haven't filled that out because I think kind of part of me is thinking I want Dottie to be old enough to understand and to be able to say if she would like to know if there are any out there 
it's really hard because I have filled it out and now it's made just me more curious because now I've got <laughs> back and it tells you how many siblings there are and what their the year of birth and the sex right. of the child and um and I was like okay so now I know that there's all these other siblings out there um now what <laughs> yes. yes did you say you used the European sperm bank Yes, I did. Yes. I did a podcast with the CEO of the European Sperm Bank and she said, and I would love this, she said that she, they were looking into how they could better facilitate donor siblings finding each other if they wanted to. Yeah. Because what, they, what she said, which I agree with, is at the moment people are resorting to DNA testing to try to find donor siblings, but you can't you can't narrow down who you find with DNA testing. So you might find relatives of the donor, which is probably not what you're looking to do. Mm. But um, um, so to stop people using DNA testing, um, but if they just want to find donor siblings, they're looking at how they can do that. And she said she'd like they'd be able to share something soon. And I was thinking, right, I need to write to my clinic and say, <laughs> you need to do the same. This sounds like a really good idea. Yes. Because um, yeah. I'd really love to um, find donor siblings for Daisy. So mm. I yeah. kind of hope that Dottie will be interested because I was an only child and I would have loved to have mm. siblings. So I kind of think it would be nice if she did want to know and wanted to yeah find out kind of who they were and where they are in the world and what have you but it's I think I I just yeah feel like I want it to be her yeah her decision yeah it's such a personal choice isn't it because I know some people just oh, it's so personal but then if I saw someone tomorrow Mel in one of the groups saying they used my donor I don't know if I could hold myself <laughs> back <laughs> I think curiosity would would possibly get the better of me I, I think that would be a really difficult decision then to make I think I would be kind of my heart and my head would be arguing uh, with each other that's so true and I know that you had shared that you had wanted to possibly have a sibling and try for another child what has your experience of that been um difficult <laughs> I think is probably the word um yeah really really difficult um first of all just kind of making the decision to try for a sibling was really difficult and uh, gave me a lot of sleepless nights and I went backwards and forwards with it a lot to the point where my granddad was like I thought you'd made the decision uh, and I was like I thought I had to but now I don't know and he started to get bless him a bit frustrated with me because I was just going back and forth but it was just such a huge decision to make but I made it and I kind of decided that the fact that I was crying at the thought of selling any of her you know baby items like you know the pram and what have you all that's up in the loft I'd get really upset at the thought of that and that kind of just told me that I had to give it a try um so I did um and I was I changed clinics which was a bit of a clover but managed to do it because my clinic was just hugely behind with the um covid backlog um so I changed clinics which was a lot more traveling um but you know I had a really positive experience with them I have to say um but uh, they told me that I would have to have IVF because my AMH had dropped I think it was I've forgotten now what it was before Dottie I think it was um four 
PMOL, PMOL, whatever the unit is, and with Dotty, it had dropped literally only two years later to 0.7. And I remember the doctor telling me over the Zoom call that, that it was 0.7 and just thinking, don't cry, don't cry. You don't know this, this man, don't cry in front of him. And trying to like smile through it, he could see I was disappointed. Um, and he said, you know, IVF is the only way to go, um, but it still has a, um, a chance of not working. It's quite likely that it won't work. Um, and then it was deciding how I was going to pay for it because IVF is a lot of money. Um, so I decided to go with access fertility option of, um, I thought about the refund packages, but in the end, I just went for the two rounds with unlimited transfers. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. I wish I'd gone for the refund package, but you can only make the decision at the time with the knowledge that you have. Um, so I went with what I thought was the best option, thinking, well, you know, unlimited transfers should give me lots of goes. Went through my first round and only got two eggs um, at egg collection and one of them made it. But it unbelievably was um, a double A grading, which they told me was, you know, the best of the best. So I went away feeling really hopeful after my transfer. And then on about day six in the two week wait, I got my period. Mm. So I didn't even make it to test day, which was gutting. But I thought it's okay, like I've got another round. Um, I saw a different doctor and she was, had, um, was really positive and had loads of ideas for getting more eggs collected at egg collection. So I changed medication. It was whacked up to the absolute highest dose. I tried testosterone gel, which I'd never even heard of being a thing before, but she said it's, you know, give it a go. It might help to, to produce more follicles and more eggs. Uh, got to egg collection and they got three. Um, so it was one more than before, which was something. And then got to um, the fifth day and I had two blast day cysts, but they were both dire quality to the point where she had to ring me before I set off on my two hour drive just in case you know hadn't made it and it wasn't worth me driving got the phone call that they were both still doing okay so drove up there and then went into theatre and in theatre they told me that one had started to die started to degenerate um but that the other one you know was so far looking okay but was still a cd so it was still you know rubbish quality um so they were like we might as well transfer it but you know chances are slim and then I think I was about day 10 when I got my period in this two-week wait and that was with the extra progesterone injections as well as the suppositories and that was my my two rounds with absolutely no frozen embryos at all and my donor is retired um, and the European Sperm Bank don't have any more. So they've put me on a, on a waiting list, but I've, I've had to kind of come to the conclusion really that, that it just wasn't meant to be and that, that Dottie is, is gonna be an only child. And, and that's obviously just the way it was meant to work out, but it's been really hard and there have been tears and I'm doing quite well, not crying now. So I think I've made some progress. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of, pre I, I prepared myself mentally, I think, um, for it not working. And I'd written a long list of, of positives, like having more money to spend on Dottie and taking her on nice holidays and being able to give her more attention and time than if I had another. But 
I would have absolutely loved her to have a sibling. Um, and I'm, I think the hardest thing I'm finding at the moment is just dealing with those feelings. I hate to say it, but of jealousy, um, you know, with my, lots of my baby friends have had a second baby, um, or, you know, due any day now, um, lots of my friends growing up have got, have got two and you know you see photos on social media of them together and people saying like you know what a lovely relationship and bond they have and that's what makes me really sad because that's what I really wanted for for Dorothy um because I didn't have that I was an only child and I would have loved a sibling um but then I know my mum was an only child and she says she loved it and so was my granddad so you know hopefully Dottie will will grow up enjoying being an only child and it and it won't be something that she wishes had ha had happened but I can tell her I tried my best <laughs> it's it's such a roller coaster isn't it and it, I think one of the things is it's like you said you, you have to initially make the decision if you're going to do it but then when you've made the decision you're really bought into it yeah so, absolutely. you know I, I've got a situation where I've got one frozen embryo and I don't feel at the moment like I am in the position to use it because I, th I just think it will be hard for me just in terms of having enough support to be able to manage. Mm. But my other slight concern is similar in a way to what you said that if I used it, and then it didn't work, then mm. I don't think I'd be able to be like, oh, well, do you know what I mean? Would I then want to start all again? Oh, it's such a hard decision to make, isn't it? And then so difficult to go through it. Um, it's really hard. And then even part of, part of me was like, well, if, if, there, you know, if my donor, if somebody did, did sell some straws back, which is a possibility, but not guaranteed, what could I do then? Or maybe I could do IUI, but then if that's even more money on top of an, a, a huge amount that I've paid out for, for those two rounds, because then you've got to buy more straws and then the IUI, yes, it's cheaper, but it's even a lower percentage of the chance of working. So you're likely to have a lot more rounds and uh, I don't know. It's, um, and I, I kind of don't want to, go through it, the kind of mental ro roller coaster at, at the moment having gone through those two rounds that was like November to now the, the second round that I've just gone through I found incredibly incredibly difficult like physically and emotionally it was by far the hardest um round I had IUI last summer as well um and then obviously my treatment with Dotty and this 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 second round I don't know why but for whatever reason it was the absolute hardest and toughest and at the moment I just couldn't put myself through through it and that was another thing on my list was I want to be present and enjoying Dotty and not feeling awful from all the hormones and the drugs and not constantly thinking about it as well because it just takes over your brain like for me anyway it, it does and it's all I think about and I just I don't want that because I feel like I, I'm not giving her the the full attention that she deserves so I think that also was kind of another the thing that's helped me to move on a little bit is that I, I need to just think of her and do what's best for her. And I thought that was giving her a sibling, but I can't, I, I haven't been able to do that. And actually, um, is that the best thing if I'm constantly going through treatment? 
because you could just get you could just you know if money wasn't an object you could just keep going and going and going couldn't you mm-hmm. and if I had didn't have a child and fine and I would have done that until I got her but now you know she's here now and, and I want to enjoy her and it's gone so quickly these two years I don't want to to miss it oh I think that's a really good approach on how to sort of deal with it and I really like you know what you said about making a list I think that's a really good way of because I'm sure other people are in similar situations and mm-hmm. um, I think that's like a really good way to try to um to deal with things and I guess also hopefully I guess you had good support around you as well to help you during that time yes yeah I had um obviously my family knew and I told like my close friends I'm very lucky I've got um I've got a really good amazing supportive network of friends uh, near and far um but who, who were all on the other end of the phone and my best friend was amazing and you know I, I there were a few tearful phone calls where she listened and and helped me but it's tough you know I'm not gonna lie it's incredibly tough and I still feel really sad um but I think you just you have to move on don't you you've got no you've got no choice and she she's amazing and I'm so incredibly lucky to have her and I know you know I've got friends in the group who haven't been able to have their first child yet and who are having an incredibly difficult journey getting there so I, 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 you know, I, how can I complain? I'm so lucky to have her. So, so lucky to have her. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing so honestly your journey, because I think it is so reassuring to people to hear other people's journeys. And, um, you know, sometimes it can just be comforting to hear um, that other people are going through the same thing that you've gone through. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so openly um, that journey. What is your advice to people who are right at the beginning of their journey and thinking, is this the path for me? You know, should I choose solo motherhood? Have you got any advice that you would give to people? Um, do it. <laughs> for one, absolutely do it because it's amazing. I would say if I could go back and, and speak to myself, it would be to save, save, save because you... Um, I thought I had enough money but um once you know once you get onto the treatment path and that it soon disappears very quickly and then obviously when you are pregnant you want to to buy things for your baby um and it it just yeah it, d- it disappears very very quickly and then on maternity leave as well if you want to have a nice long time off I wish I'd had more savings for for that and that I'd thought about that um I'd say join Facebook group get support that way so you've got people who have been through it who can give you advice and support and other people who are going through it that you can um, kind of lean on and talk to and and that that you can empathize you know that can empathize with what you're going through Um, I'd say talk to your family about it because you know that was a huge support for me and I also talked a lot to my friends and my colleagues about it which I know lots of people don't and I think again that's another very personal decision but for me I didn't want to randomly go oh hey I'm pregnant and people go what how you don't have a a, a boyfriend or you know how, what have you had a had a one night stand or like what have you done have they that make those assumptions that you know they may not have done but in my head that's what 
I thought they were going to be thinking and say, uh, rightly or wrongly so. And um, so I was quite open about it. But that also gave me kind of support because I got such amazing feedback, you know, with my friends and colleagues going, that's brilliant, go for it. Um, so I that personally for me that really helped but I know some people don't want the pressure and don't want people knowing in case it doesn't work and actually this time round I didn't tell so many people and I'm kind of glad because now I don't have to you know they're not coming up to me going oh has it worked or you know what's what's going on with it so I'm not having to have those painful conversations at the moment so I can kind of see both sides of it but for me going through it the first time it, it felt right to, to talk about it researching I think reading um, there's some obviously brilliant books out there listen to your podcasts just do as much yeah research I wish I'd done more researching before I was completely clueless when I went into it I didn't have a clue about any of it and I just nodded along to everything the doctor said um, because I just trusted that they know best and with hindsight I almost wish now I'd done IVF um, because I might have had some frozen embryos for a sibling and I have said that in my solo mothers by choice UK group to, to people who have got um, a low AMH I have said if I could go back and talk to me I, I would have had IVF because I might have had more of a chance of getting some frozen embryos back then um than I obviously have now so for people who think they'll possibly want possibly slash probably want to have a second yes it kind of makes sense to start with IVF from that point of view yeah and I, I thought IVF was the most terrifying thing in the whole world mm -hmm. and that was part of my difficulty in deciding to go ahead as well because I knew it would likely have to be IVF this time um and actually although my second round was horrific my first round I sort of breezed through um, weirdly um, and I didn't find it hugely different to a medicated IUI because you had the inject you know you were injecting again the biggest difference was the egg collection which I was so terrified about because I'd had a really awful experience um, being sedated where basically like it didn't have any effect on me at all and I was aware and awake and um, in pain throughout so I was completely terrified of egg collection but the anaesthetist was so lovely and just knocked me straight out so I just slept through it all and, and didn't remember anything so even that bit was was fine because I got a nice nap <laughs> it was the bit before that I was terrified that wasn't so nice uh, but obviously the second round I kind of knew what to expect so I wasn't so so nervous that time and then the transfer is very very similar to, to having the IUI um, so um i think yeah it's difficult isn't it because that second round i felt awful so it even the same person it can be completely different mm. on different rounds but um i i kind of would say yeah research it and be reassured that you can do it that you're strong enough to get through it and that even when it is tough you, you will get through it and if it works it is completely forgotten and and yeah you you don't think about it once you have your baby in your arms do you it's yeah. it's ancient history i always say in my coaching course how do you manage everything else in your life like if you're the sort of person who just 
makes things happen and just manages no matter what situation you're in then this will be no different you'll just be able to manage it if you're the sort of person who isn't able to manage you know who struggles on things throughout life because i'm very cautious to say i don't think solo motherhood is for everybody i think there are some because it's not easy it is hard Mm. Um, and there are some people who may you know really struggle with it and i think if you haven't got a really good support network and you do find things tough you know you do need to really consider but if you are the sort of person who always figures out how to make something happen then you know this will be absolutely no different so um yeah go for it it's hard though isn't it because i would probably think that i was somebody who wasn't strong and and and, really but then yeah but then I kind of look back and and then think oh but actually I've I've done this and I've done that so maybe I am a bit tougher than I give myself yeah you're right Um, a lot of people are hard on themselves and think that they haven't maybe coped where really they have sort of thing yeah Yeah, it's so hard it's so hard I I always say surround yourself like the more people that you surround yourself with um that can support you the easier the easier it will be for sure definitely yeah definitely support and have have people who um support you no matter what and who've got your back and and who even if they don't agree you know with your decision because I did have a friend who was very open and honest and and disappointed that I decided to go down the solo mother route which I found quite difficult at the time because I kind of felt like you're my you know you're one of my closest friends you should you should just you should just go yeah that's brilliant (laughs) um but of course you know everyone's different and has different opinions and thoughts on these things and she just felt sad that I was she felt like I was giving up I think on getting married and having a baby that way um but I just said to her well you know hopefully one day I will meet somebody it doesn't mean just because I want to have a baby by myself it doesn't mean that I'm shutting myself off completely from that ever being an option I would love to to meet somebody and fall in love and get married but um for now my my priority my focus and my absolute desire is to have a baby and why should I not do that just because I haven't haven't met somebody you know why should I give up on that dream just because I've been unlucky in love um and I didn't want to get to the point where I was you know too old and regretted that and and then obviously I ended up finding out that I had low AMH and uh poor ovarian reserve so thank goodness I made that decision because you know I, I I probably wouldn't have been able to have had a baby by the time I had met somebody and some of my friends who are who are older in their 50s and 60s have said how they wish that they had gone down this route themselves and and now it's too late for them and that just made me so so sad because I just couldn't imagine that you know how they must feel and and that being me I just it just wasn't an option I just I had had to be a mother I think it's um it's really interesting because I think a lot of people find that if friends have hesitations quite often it is about their fantasy 
So mm. how we say that we need to work through sometimes letting go of the idea about how we thought we would become parents. Actually, we don't realise that our friends and family also have that same fantasy for us <laughs> yeah. and they need yeah. to work through it themselves as well. And sometimes that can be difficult because you think, hang on, I've worked through it. You can't <laughs> you can't have it. That, that was my fantasy and I've come out the other side of it. Yeah. Um, it can be hard when friends can't let go of their idea of happiness for you yeah. realizing that having a baby is the the priority is, is what would make you happy yeah yeah absolutely and they've got your best interests or they think they've got your best interests at heart um but yeah that was that was the hardest thing because I kind of just expected her to to be like everybody else who had been so supportive but she's you know she loves Dottie and she's so glad that you know I, I did it obviously now I think that's the other thing I hear a lot that anyone who has hesitations the vast majority of people that changes when a child is in yes. the picture like um, when it's just a concept people can be hesitant about it but when it's an actual child most of the time people forget any hesitation and they're like um, you know they're completely on board then which is nice yeah definitely Fab, well, thank you so much for chatting to me. Um, really interesting. Um, so if people want to find your group, Jenny, where can they find it? Um, so they can find Solo Mothers by Choice UK just by um, doing a search on Facebook. It, it should come up. It's a completely private group, which I think some members worry that um, people will see that they're a member of that group and, and they absolutely can't. And anything you write you know any posts or comments are completely um private and within the group um so yeah it's easy to find um we also have um solo parents by choice uk which is like our kind of partner group um which uh natasha who is the other admin in solo mothers by choice uk um she watched the documentary seahorse and was really inspired um to open up the inclusivity of the trying to conceive um solo parenting by choice community and then um, i watched it as well and absolutely loved it and completely agreed um that we we did need to be more inclusive so we um decided to to make a new group i think we kind of put it to our solo mothers by choice group how they felt about opening up opening it up to um solo dads by choice but the kind of the general feeling was that another group would be um would be really good so so yes yeah, so we have the two groups which have similar kind of weekly features so we do like money mondays and um tell it tuesdays where it's just a, a, like a little fun put a gift to show how your day is going or how you how you're feeling that day um, we do welcome wednesday we have um friday feelings so kind of more of a mental health um post where we can support each other if people are having a particularly tough time or if people want to celebrate how they're doing um, on a saturday we just have one where we um, think about that something positive in our week so when people are having a really tough time we kind of just felt that it's really good to just stop and reflect and go yeah it's been a really hard week but actually this happened which was really good it doesn't have to be you know related to to being a parent it can, can be anything and we have um stories that we share on a sunday um some we have member stories that we share on a sunday and recently um we've been doing uh, sunday specials so 
we've had a range we had like adoption recently um so a range of different themes on a sunday that we discuss and share research and advice and information about and then members can share um if they've got an interest or if that's their kind of area of um yeah specialty then they can share information with the group as well um so both groups are kind of very similar but but the solo parents is is open to anybody going on the the path or who's been on the path and is a parent um through choice amazing great thank you so much and yeah thank you so much for taking the time thank you it's been really lovely talking to you mel if you've enjoyed this episode of the stalker my podcast i'd hugely appreciate if you rate review and subscribe i look forward to seeing you again next week